Good morning. It's kind of nice to be up here looking out this way for a change, seeing all the your bright, smiling faces this morning ready to go. I got to tell you, I'm hoping that uh, you guys had a happy, uh, a very merry Christmas. I know I did. Our family, we had a great time. Uh, I got to see my granddaughter, Addie. I see her FaceTime all the time, but that's not the same. Uh, my daughter, Kayla, came up and was able to see her and, and, and to play with Addie. My name is John Tallis. I'm, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I look out and I have a lot of new faces. Um, I've gone to church here for oh, 30 years, 40 years. I don't, I've lost count. And uh, for a few years, I served as an interim pastor here. Uh, I've been an elder. I've been a deacon. I've been a Sunday school superintendent. I've teach Sunday school. I do all, uh, all kinds of stuff. I kind of hide in the back these days and just kind of, kind of watch and, and participate. But, you know, if I haven't met you yet or haven't had a chance to talk to you, I apologize um, I'll make sure that I, I can do that. But uh, yeah, Christmas is a, a, a great time for all of us. This year was, uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, we had uh, Christmas Eve at our place, Neola and I, and we had 31 people come to our little house. What a blessing, though, to have 31 of your family to be there. Now, it's a... That in itself is a blessing, and we all were kind of talking about, isn't it neat? We're all here, all, man, the whole gang. We got little kids now and babies, and it's just awesome. But with 31 people comes a few problems. I mean, they're all crammed into my little house. It was just like when I was a kid, I'd go to my grandmother's in southern Ohio. Christmas at Grandma's, where I bet 100 people fit into a room a house maybe as big as this sanctuary, I mean, the entire house, you know, and uh, we'd all sit in different rooms. You could never all be together at the same time. Some of you were in the bedroom, some of you were in the living room, some were in the kitchen. Uh, you even had people that would sit out on the porch. One year, my dad and I had to sit in the car, and there were so many people here at Grandma's house, and I just absolutely loved that. And um, the New Year's Eve tonight, and it, this is just a fun time of the year for me. I still like to watch the ball drop on TV. I don't care much for the all oh, the entertainment, you know, as you wait for the ball to drop and, and all the clowns get on there and try to, you know, act like they're funny. And that I don't care about so much. But But it's fun, the anticipation of watching them. Here we go. We're getting ready to go into 2024. Look out, and uh, it's not quite as as joyous, I guess, at our house as it used to be. Usually these days when the ball drops, I'm up, but Neola's asleep on the couch. Kalen's uh, on his computer probably, uh, you know, I, and it's just a little bit different. Neola's like, just wake me up when the, when the ball drops. Up, oh, happy 2024. Thank you. Back to sleep, you know, big deal, you know. You know, around our house, though, it's uh, everybody in the neighborhood, I think. I live out in the country. Um, they're all Second Amendment supporters. Let's put it that way. So at the strike of midnight, you go outside, and it sounds like, uh, you know, somebody's advancing on the Eastern Front. Is a bang, 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 boom, 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 boom. Here we go. 
And uh, I used to have a, I used to do Civil War reenacting, and I used to load my musket up and go out there and one big old bang. I mean, it's not like today where you rat-a-tat-tat, but it was always fun to do little things like that. And it's a time to look back and a time to think about the future, a time to wonder, you know, what's this new year going to be like? Is it going to be better than last year? Is it going to be as, you know, is it going to be worse? And you know, what, what's happening here in, in 2024? And it's time to make those big New Year's resolutions. And I, I love to think of things that I want to do. I'm sure you have. I mentioned that to my Sunday school class. How many of you have made your resolutions? And they all groaned and rolled their eyes. How soon can I break them? I think one of them said, you know, so. It is interesting. According to a 2016 study of the 41% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions, by the end of the year, only 9% feel they're successful in keeping them. The odds are not in our favor. An earlier study in 2007 showed that 12% of people who set resolutions are successful, even though 52% of the participants were confident of success at the beginning. So we see that these aren't exactly uh, winning odds. We love to make resolutions, things that we want to do. The spirit is willing, but oh boy, can the flesh be weak. And, uh, you know, why is this that, you know, we, we don't seem to, to find success with all of these new resolutions. Well, 35% of participants who failed their New Year's resolution said they had unrealistic goals. Well, there you go. If you're gonna, you make a goal that's way too unrealistic, you're probably not going to make it. I'm going to lose 75 pounds this year. No, I might shoot for 7.5. That, that might be more adequate. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make 75. 23% forgot about their resolutions. Uh, one in 10 said they made too many resolutions. And off you go. I mean, so it's, it's difficult to make these resolutions. But it is, to me, we still come back to that idea of renewal. It's time to start over again. It's a new year. We're going to do something great for ourselves, for our family, for our church. And then Sometimes life gets in the way and look out and after a while we've, we've forgotten about those. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 14. For all you new Christians, Exodus is in the front of the Bible, uh, the second book in, so you probably flip in about, ugh, about 60 pages or so and you'll get there. And I want to talk this morning about the, the story of the Exodus. The, the Israelites, the Hebrew people leaving Egypt. Moses, you've all seen the, the Ten Commandments probably. Charlton Heston gets out, let my people go. And, you know, eventually you know, they have the plagues and Pharaoh's finally convinced to let them go. And all of the Hebrew people who had been slaves in Egypt after 400 and some years, they finally are free to leave. And when they left, the Bible says that they were given massive amounts of Egyptian silver. They were given gold. They were given clothes. I mean, they were given all kinds of things to uh, 
you know, as a farewell parting gift. <laughs> Away you go. So basically, God had moved the Egyptians and the uh, the Israelites fleeced them before they left. They took all the stuff and away they went. Off into the desert. People were excited. They were pumped. They were ready to go. Freedom at last. Off we go into the desert. So they begin to move out of Egypt and begin this journey back to their ancestral homelands. The, the, the so-called promised land flowing with milk and honey. And, and wow, what a... What a moment you can imagine all of these people leaving egypt the bible calls it a multitude of people it doesn't ever really say how many um conservative scholars put it in at about maybe half a million five hundred thousand uh more aggressive uh scholars put the number at two and a half million people i mean these are uh, the Bible doesn't really say how many people, but it was a multitude. It was, as I like to say in, in our Sunday school, Sunday school class, it was a bunch of people. <laughs> we don't know how many. It was a bunch. So off they go into the uh, desert with God going before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire by night. So God gave them a visual representation of himself allowing them to see that God is with us. God is real. If you ever didn't think God was real, look at that. You know, if I saw a pillar of fire, you know, burning and kind of leading me around, I, I would wonder what that is. You would think the people would be happy and confident, but, you know, it doesn't last long. We pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before, uh, yeah, Piahiroth between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people and said, what is it that we have done? Why have we let Israel go from serving us? Why did we ever let these people go? Let's go get them. Drop down to verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. And then it talks about them going out and their chariots and all the horses. And the people are just absolutely scared. Pharaoh's coming. He's changed his mind. He's coming to get us. And you can imagine the word spreading through the, through the people. And this great fear that they would have had that they're coming back to get us. They're going to take us back to Egypt. And they're not going to ask us to do it politely. They're coming as an army to destroy us. What are we going to do? You know, despite this desire to begin a new life, they were quickly threatened by the life they were trying to leave behind. Egypt is coming for you. Now, Moses, he has to act. He is the leader 
the new leader of this Hebrew people. And they're all looking to him. What do you want us to do? You're the one that brought us out here. What do we do? You know, he's the one who stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. You know, we've got to act now or risk losing everything. Let's re read verses 13 and 14. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. You know, we sing a lot of songs sometimes. We talk about the Lord gaining the victory. The Lord wins. The Lord, does. The Lord is very active on our part where we are asked to just stay quiet. Let people know that I am the Lord. So Moses is asking these people, we're going to rely on God. We're going to give it to God. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to, to do what? Anybody got their Bibles open? Go forward. Not stay there and cry. Not stay there and go, what do we do? What do we do? No, move it. Go forward. You know, I looked up the, the Hebrew meaning of this phrase. Uh, why are you crying out to me? You know, what kind of crying? And it literally means to shriek or to call together. This isn't, oh, Lord, please help us. They're about to get, this is, oh, my God, help us. Ah! You know, they're running around screaming and crying, and they're all just totally freaked out. Why are you in a panic, God says? Why is everybody losing their minds? Tell the people to go forward. He doesn't ask them to sit still. He doesn't say, hey, let, let me handle it here. He commands them, keep moving. God is signaling that if all you, if all you want to move forward, we're going that way. The past is that way. We're not going back there. We're not going that way. We're going this way. And so off they go. And so Moses tells the, the people that the Egyptians are coming, but that through this confusion and fear, uh, God is working. Verse 16 here, chapter 14, Exodus, verse 16. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. You guys remember the story. They got the Red Sea right here. They got the Egyptian army back here. Kind of in a bad spot. I teach social studies. I taught history for many years in, in many great battles. A lot of times armies would get themselves backed up against a body of water, and that was not a good thing. That was bad news. So these... Hebrew people understood and knew this is not good. Verse 17, as for me, this is God speaking, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. 
Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. Moses is probably wondering, what are you going to do to him? What's going to happen? Are you going to chase us all the way through the Red Sea and keep going? You know, and they're going to, you know, I don't know that Moses really understood yet what was going to happen. But whatever it was, God was going to act in a way that was going to bring glory and honor to his name. Through this episode, we see that there is a purpose behind the pain. There's a purpose here behind this great uh, circumstance, this, this terrible moment of, of, of uh, you know, are we actually going to survive this? God says, I'm going to harden their hearts. I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to give them confidence. I will give them power. I'm going to give them zeal. They will be courageously on the attack. They are going to pursue you guys straight to their demise. You know, I'd be afraid. If I knew that a zealous, determined group of soldiers was coming to get me, I would be scared too. These aren't just soldiers lounging around. Eh, we'll get these guys. This, this is a determined, angry, professional group of soldiers. We are going to get them, and off they go. Something interesting happens. Before this great clash of, of army and the Hebrew people, there's the night before. A lot of times the night before, people are real nervous. They sit around a campfire wondering, what's tomorrow going to bring? It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be crazy. Well, let's look what happened the night before. Verse 19. And this is one they leave out of the movies. You never see this in the Ten Commandments. Verse 19. The angel of God, an angel, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And then at night, it probably would have lit up like the, the flaming fire. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud among with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. The Egyptians stayed away. The Hebrew people stayed away. And in between them was God, was this angel that he had stationed there with this visual representation of this glowing cloud. And nobody would dare try to contact each other in the night. I love that teaching. I love that as the Hebrews were waiting to see how this would pan out, there was an angel of the Lord who camped himself between the Egyptian army and the Hebrews. He was there to provide protection. He was the rear guard, so to speak. This angel is there and, and to keep the Egyptians away. Meanwhile, that night, verse 20, Excuse me, verse uh, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. So while the angel is standing there holding up 
the Egyptians, God is parting the Red Sea, making a way for his people. I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, to finish the story, I'm not going to read all of it, but you know how it works out. The Egyptians take up pursuit. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, all his horsemen go in after them into the midst of the sea. The Hebrews are running in the dry land through the Red Sea. They're getting away. The Hebrew army comes barreling down into the middle path. And then what does God do to the water? Splash. Away they go. Um, verse 29, but the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. What a finish. What a story. Yes, that really happened. <laughs> People go, did that really happen? Is that... No, I think it really did happen. As a result, Egypt was destroyed. The people were saved. They could now look ahead with a new determination to trust God. They could fear God and his servant Moses. But before they could move into the desert, they had to deal with their past. They had to deal with what was going on. Rarely can we ignore our problems and hope that they go away. Like the Hebrews, God will sometimes force us to deal with our troubles oftentimes to his glory. We always think, God is going to save me. Yay, me. Actually, I, I did save you, but it was for my glory. Yay, God. Well, the new year is just one of those natural points where you all stop. We take a minute to take stock of our lives. Time to see where we're going, what new plans we're going to make, what adjustments we should make. You know, it's a time to pause, catch our breath. It's a time to, st- excuse me, to start over again. But how soon do we remember our past and do everything we can to get back there? <laughs> Instead of moving forward, we get stuck in the past. You know, when we bought our first, well, the house that we live in now, when we bought that, the people who owned it beforehand, that when they left, they left all kinds of stuff. I thought when you left, when you moved, you had to take all your stuff with you and leave it empty. Well, we got their stuff all over the place. So we called him, and I knew the, the man who sold it to us. I was like, are you going to come get your stuff? He's like, ah, you can have it. And I'm like, I don't want it. But you know, like, well, you know, they never came and got it. There it was. Uh, furniture, furniture. Uh, a table saw, all kinds of stuff out the barn. I mean, it was just crazy. Wouldn't it be nice if in our lives we could just unhitch all the, the stuff that we don't want anymore and leave it behind? The emotional baggage, the pain, the hurt, the doubt, the fears. We could just unhitch that and say, oh, I'm just going to leave it right there. Never have to deal with it ever again. And away we go. It'd be nice, but unfortunately, that's not the way that it works. We can't outrun our problems. We can't 
wait for them to magically disappear. We have to face them. Here we have the Hebrews who were starting over, a brand new start, and yet they still had to deal with the Egyptians, no matter how much they wanted to leave them behind. Sooner or later, Pharaoh and his men were going to catch up. But instead of running away, God forced them to stop and deal with it. The only thing he asked them to do was move forward. Go forward. Keep moving. As we deal with it, we can't get trapped. We can't get stuck in the old ways. We're moving forward. We're not going back to Egypt. In the New Testament, we see the story of Matthew. I always like Matthew. Any of you watch The Chosen? I've watched some of the episodes. Uh, I like the, the character of Matthew. He's kind of portrayed as kind of a dweeby little, you know, little math nerd, you know. But they do an excellent job of portraying him in the way that people feel about tax collectors in those days. Matthew was a tax collector, okay? None of us like taxes, and tax season is going to be coming here soon. In, the, in, the, in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire subjugated the nation of Israel as a foreign imperial power. Consequently, the Romans would extract taxes from the Jewish people. In their historical context, these taxes were different than modern-day taxes, which today they pay for roads, education, public services. These taxes went directly to Rome. Here you have the occupying empire dominating Israel. And so basically the Jewish people were paying their oppressors to oppress them. You can imagine the attitude that people had towards the tax man. How did Jewish people treat tax collectors? The only thing they could really do would be to ignore them, to ostracize them, to... Uh, not allow them to be a part of their community. The Babylonian Talmud placed tax collectors alongside murderers and robbers. That's Jewish uh, scripture. <laughs> oh, Matthew, you murderer, <laughs> traitor. The rabbis taught that tax collectors were disqualified witnesses in court so societal outcasts and utter disgraces to their own family. The rabbis excommunicated tax collectors from the synagogue. Tax collectors weren't allowed to exchange their money at the temple treasury. The rabbis even considered it lawful to lie in almost any conceivable way to avoid paying taxes. Consequently, no one would want this job. So Matthew must have been pretty desperate to have ended up in this position as a tax collector, somebody who is absolutely hated by the people of his day. His Jewish brothers and sisters would have shunned him. That's why it's so scandalous to see Jesus decide, you know what I need in my little group of students? I need a tax collector. And everybody went, what? You really want the scum of society in here with us? Jesus says, yes, that's exactly who I want. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 
Um, chapter 9, and I want to read about the calling of Matthew and how simple it is. Is Jesus, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he'd been talking to, he just healed somebody. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. That's all it says. There's, there's no hesitation on Matthew's part. He got up and followed Jesus. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the, excuse me, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your, your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? This is your guy? He's sitting in there with the scum of the earth. What are you, you going to do about it? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Is it not those who are healthy who need a it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick? But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew's life is an example for all of us. We don't know why he became a tax collector. But for whatever reason, he chose a greedy profession filled with people who could never get enough. And yet Jesus calls Matthew to come and be my disciple. And Matthew gives up his profession. Maybe he had gotten sick of it. Maybe he was tired of it anyways. We don't know. But when Jesus said, follow me, Matthew said, yes. And away he went. You know, when Matthew was called by Jesus, it was a turning point in his life. It's one of those moments where you realize, look, my life is never going to be the same again as I go. Um, and you can bet that there were others within Jesus' own group who would have hated Matthew still. In fact, one of the, the 12 was a man by the name of Simon who was a zealot. The zealots would often stage mass riots and civil unrest to overthrow the Romans. If anybody hated tax collectors, it was those guys. And yet here we have one in the same group as Jesus. So Jesus is going to take this zealot and he's going to pair him up with this tax collector. Don't think for a moment that Matthew's past didn't continue to make an impact on him in his life. The Bible doesn't say really that he was, if he was mistreated or abused or laughed at. I'm sure he was. But he became a very faithful witness to Jesus. In fact, he is the author of Matthew, the book Matthew. Um, God was able to use him despite his past, despite the baggage that he would drag with him into this new ministry 
with Jesus. Despite that, he would be an effective witness and disciple for Christ. In fact, they, uh, many believe that he actually died a martyr's death. Actually, in the country of, or in the region of Ethiopia, he made it into northern Africa, witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ where he met his end. Simply because Jesus said, Follow me. And away he went. You know, I can just hear Matthew as Jesus says, you know what, I want you to come with me. You know, I can hear Matthew's probably going, well, what do I do? Do I, do, do I sell all my stuff first? What, do I got to pray a lot? Uh, what do, I, uh, do I need to get baptized first? Uh, do I have to uh, give money to the poor? Do I need to clean up my act? Do I got to go to the temple? Do I got to get right with God first? Uh, do I need to give, everything, give up everything I like? Uh, do I have to become a monk? Do I have to act like weird people in church? Do I, do I have to, what do I do? Jesus simply says, look, follow me. That's what I want you to do. Follow me. Yes, Matthew's past would be with him. But he would forget that, die to that, leave it behind, and move forward. As God told the Hebrews so long ago, move forward. Move forward. You know, as we look forward to a new year, you might consider allowing God to help you bury your past as you look to build a better tomorrow. Not ignore it, not leave it behind like you know, the people who moved out of the house and left their, you know, all their refrigerator there or whatever, you know, and you're like, oh, now I got to get rid of this. Uh, not like that, but deal with it. No matter how good it feels to dream of a new future, a new year, a new tomorrow, you know, whatever, we have to, to deal with our problems. We have to deal with those things that, that are still with us. God wants us to do that. Because in the process of cleaning up all of that stuff, God is glorified. Think about with the, with the Hebrews. God saves them from the Egyptians. Hallelujah. Why? God is glorified. Yes, he saved their lives. You know what? In our lives, I know that in my life, as I've dealt with struggles in my own life, my own needs, and there isn't one person who didn't come in here today without some kind of need. God has helped me to deal with these things, sometimes very successfully, sometimes not so. But always, as we overcome through Christ, God is glorified. Think about the new life that can result in his glory. You know, as we give up booze, you know, God is glorified. You give up your pride, God is glorified. Give up racism, God is glorified. Give up pornography, God is glorified. We give up the lusts of the flesh and gambling and, and deep, every deep, dark sin that you have chained up in your own heart, never to see the light of day. When we give those up to Christ, God is glorified. We need to remember that God is ready to help us deal with our yesterdays as he asks us to move forward. And as we move forward and enjoy a new life in Christ, a life 
that we're going to experience through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is glorified. As we overcome, he is glorified. When we move ahead, we can drop the past where it lies and move on in a way that glorifies God. Remember how God can still use you, all of you. God used Matthew. I'm sure God used his past as a tax collector to further his kingdom, to gain glory. If I can take a tax collector and do this, what do you think I can do with your life? Praise God. Romans 6, 7 says, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's, as we kind of come to a conclusion here, let's kind of circle the wagons a little bit and, and review. What I'm, what I'm really trying to say is, you know, as we move forward in the new year, as you make plans, as we jump ahead into 2024, make sure you bury your old concerns of the past. Not ignore them, not just dump them on the side of the road, but let's see where we've been through. Let's take a moment to see where you are. Let's take a minute to give God the opportunity to deal with those things, to see where God has brought us or where he is bringing you today. If your past circumstances scare you and you're afraid to move ahead, remember that God has placed himself squarely between your past in your future. Like the angel of the Lord who placed himself between the Egyptians and the Hebrews, God has placed himself on guard between you and your trials. Have you lost a loved one to death, to distance, to divorce? God's standing watch between your grief and the amazing future he still has in store for you. Have you lost a job? God is standing between your lost job and the plans that he has to prosper you. Have you lost trust in a friend? God is standing watch between the two of you, helping each of you to become reconciled. Have you been fighting with people at church? God is standing between each group and asking all of us to move forward. How long will we stand at the sea of injustice and anger and annoyance and jealousy, shrieking to God like the Hebrews, oh, do something. God is simply asking us, move forward. Trust in me. When the process has presented itself, we then realize that the process was the product. We can let it go and and move on. Let us have the attitude of Paul who asks us to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Leave that old dead thing there. We ain't going back. Never again. We're moving forward. Well, I hope that each of you are looking forward to a new year, a new year in which God is going to do incredible things for you, for your family, I believe for this church, and I hope you'll join me in renewing your faith, our dedication to God and to his holy church, to obey him 
and learn to let him have his way. You know, if you made someone mad, apologize and move forward. If you get dumped, <laughs> acknowledge it. And wallow in your pity group, no, move forward. If you lose someone, remember how much you love them, appreciate it, and keep moving forward. If you make mistakes, if you've sinned against God, if you made a fool of yourself, ask for forgiveness, laugh at yourself, and move forward, move on. Whatever your story is, let's use 2024 as the year that we're moving on, moving forward. Thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, to speak to you here today. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be together. I thank you for this church. I love it so much, and I love everybody here. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to move forward. Help us to keep going. Past is behind us. The future, the wonderful future that you have planned for us lies ahead. Lord, help us not to get trapped in fear and confusion about what's behind. We know that you've got our back. We know that you're on guard, and we can confidently move forward, Lord. Father, we love you so much today, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. 